Hello and welcome to the Fish to Final Table Poker Podcast. It's finally arrived. It's taken a little while to get off the ground, but like any good harebrained scheme, you know, you plug at it enough and it will come to fruition eventually. I'm your host, Nick Oakley. I am going to be talking all things poker for the next however many weeks. Let's see how long we can keep this going. But the aim is to go from Fish, which is me at the minute, a pretty poor poker player to final table at a tournament in a casino the glitz and glamour let's go to vegas you know let, I tell you what let's get some sponsorship and we'll go all the way to vegas if i'm gonna do that though i'm gonna need some serious help preferably someone who knows what they're talking about and maybe they've made a little bit of money from the game along the way I'm happy to announce that I've actually found someone. He's a poker professional sponsored by Grosvenor Poker Online. His name's Andy Hills and he's here with me now. Well, he's not here with me now because we're still kind of social distancing. But uh, through the wonders of modern technology, it is effectively like we're in the same room. It's Andy Hills. Welcome to the pod, Andy. Thank you very much. Thanks so much for contributing and uh, it's great to have someone on the pod who knows what they're doing because I am struggling a little with <laughs> poker and we might as well clarify this. What, what we're talking about here is specifically No Limit Texas Hold'em poker. So you're a professional and tell us a bit about, about yourself and, and what it's like being a pro poker player. Well, I've played poker professionally for about 12 years. I got into it by watching it on TV couple of nights a week, they used to have some t- late night TV shows. Oh, yeah. You could watch some of the then-name players like Devilfish and Vicky Corrin and Phil Helmuth. And that piqued my interest. I didn't know the rules of poker until my uh, late 20s when I started watching these programs. And I've always liked card games, but this, this is what got me into poker specifically. And what was it? What was it about the game that you were watching on telly that, that made you think, yeah, this, you know what, this, this might work? Well, I've always liked card games and strategy games. And I mean, the game immediately resonated with me. I I used to be glued to the commentary. I used to record the shows. I would play them back. I'd try and digest everything that the commentators were saying. They used to have Vicky Corrin. I thought for a beginner, she used to explain things very well. And if there was something they said that I didn't understand, I would just keep replaying it until I did understand it. So I've always liked cards. Poker was very logical and uh, just a really interesting and very open-ended game. And what, so what were you doing prior to that? What was, what was your kind of day job and, and, and how did you make that transition from watching it on telly to then making money and it being a, um, a highly profitable lifestyle? Yeah, I used to be a software developer. I've got a degree in computer science. It was a great career. I got into that as a hobby and then it became a, a career. Yeah, I think it uses the same kind of part of your brain as poker. It's very analytical, involves a lot of patience. I would say the skills required to be a computer programmer gives you a subset of what you need to be a poker player. Were there kind of certain things that you had to implement and had to develop and think about? And if so, is, is, is playing poker a never-ending journey? It is. It absolutely is. You know, every week I learn some little things every year. I learned some, at least a couple of big things that really changed my game, to the point where I look back a year and think, well, I was markedly less good at poker then. You have to stay ahead of the curve because, of course, there's lots of other clever people who are all trying to get better at poker and work out the things that other people haven't worked out yet. And so what was that moment like when the transition when you went to to become a professional and and, uh, how did that feel? 
I don't know if there was a point where I thought, right, I am a pro now. I started off doing it just as a hobby, purely uh, recreational, playing small stakes cash games online. Watching the TV shows piqued my interest. I got books on introductory poker strategy and messed around. You know, I made some small deposits online on a couple of different poker sites. I went through a few cycles of depositing, slowly bleeding that money away, because of course nobody is great to start with. Lost $50 or whatever, and then I would give up for a while, and then I would read some more books. Uh, That would get me interested again, and I would have another go, and maybe three or four cycles of that before I started playing poker tournaments. There was no turning back after I got into tournaments. I've had the luxury of looking at your stats on the wonderful Hendon Mob site, which is effectively a database for for poker players, isn't it? Anyone who's cashed, I think, uh, anything at a casino or a kind of registered live game. Um, Correct. The stats are all there, and your looking through your all your stats is just incredible. It, it's like a kind of a tour of the United Nations. The amount of countries that you've <laughs> been been to, it's incredible. I mean, what what is it about you and travelling the world to go and play poker? Well, I mean, it didn't start off like that. Originally, I just played on the internet. I learned on the internet, and I played eight years predominantly as an online pro. So at the start, it was all online. I didn't set out to spend several years playing live poker. I thought I will try doing live poker for a bit. So I'll just cram as much live poker as I possibly can. And I didn't really look back. I've had about three years of playing predominantly live and absolutely loved it. And why? What, what is it about the live game that you love? Well, it's an interesting question. There's a, there's a sort of thing that people used to say, which is that, online and live are totally different games. I think people said that from a position of ignorance. There used to be some snobbery. Live players thought that live poker was the only real poker. There used to be a phenomenon where a lot of the live players didn't actually realize how much better the online players were. And there came a point where people kind of cottoned on because all these pros who'd taught themselves to play poker online then started going to casinos to play these big events and they were cleaning up eventually the penny dropped and people realized that poker is poker because online it goes so quickly as well doesn't it that's one of the things i've found of, of, of playing the free roll games that i'm playing at the minute it just goes so quickly i i think i'm I'd be, if i went to a casino i I'd, I'd be pretty um pretty frightened about being in that situation but the fact that it, it's slower you can take a bit more time to make those decisions compared to online i think there's a real draw to that plus it's a much much more of an experience i imagine playing live it's also bigger money I've played for some very big prizes in live poker, and it's quite rare that I played for so much money online. So yeah, it's, it is exciting for a number of reasons. And I'm not a very alpha male kind of person. I'm not very confrontational. I mean, it used to be quite an alpha environment. I think it, it also relates to the way people used to think about poker. People used to think poker was about bravery and pulling off a bluff or calling a bluff, and it's all quite heroic. But in fact, it's been taken over by nerds who look at it in a very analytical way. And it isn't all about machismo anymore. Yeah, absolutely. I was watching um, a rerun of Vicky Corrin's first uh, European tour win. Uh, or I think it's, it's, it's at the final table and, and she puts this 
chap her, her opponent in this really tough spot that statistically he should call and he does, but then she hits her cards on the turn. And the humility in that moment, there was no kind of bravado. She, she kind of gets up and she's just saying, what good call, you know, you did exactly the right thing. And I think this is one of the real draws and real interesting things to me about the game that you, you can make the right call and still be beaten. I, I think that's just fascinating. That's actually something you have to make peace with in poker. Poker doesn't owe you anything. Poker's very unfair at times. You can do the right thing but get the wrong result. Your opponent can play badly but be rewarded for it. And also, not everything even reduces to they played well or you played badly or vice versa. Sometimes you both play your hand correctly and the luck of the draw just determines who gets all, all the money. So it's a it feels like a very unfair game but we have to resist that urge to think of it in those terms. It's most important to make sure you make the right decision over and over and over again. You must have made a lot of right decisions looking at your results and the things, but what was that first big win as a professional live? Just talk me through what that must have been like. It was really exciting and quite surreal because I hadn't played many games in casinos when I had my first win. It was probably only the third, maybe fourth time I'd played in a casino. Uh, it was a two-day tournament in my local Grosvenor Casino, which is in Blackpool. You know, I developed some sort of game online. Of course, I wouldn't call myself good by today's standards, but I was regularly winning online. Most months were winning months for me. It was for a lot more money than I would usually play for. Usually online, I would play tournaments with a buy-in of $20, $30, $50. And I went and had a shot at a 200, I think it was a 270 pound buy-in. And the prize money was, you know, accordingly larger. Go on. I think think at the top prize, I think it was was over six grand. So that was really exciting when I had my first six grand cash. That was bigger than anything I'd ever won online. How did you spend it? How did I spend it? Oh, I'm afraid I give a really boring answer to that. I am a, a bankroll nit, as we say in poker. I look after my money. I, I don't spend it just because I have it. And that's actually really important in poker if you want to be in it for the long haul. I'm afraid that's a very boring answer, but, yeah, that but, is, uh, but Andy, this <laughs> is that's the textbook answer. <laughs> this is music to my wife's ears, you know, as she's kind of questioning, right, okay, my husband wants to get into poker and do a poker mm-hmm. podcast. I, I think, you know, that your words uh, will really kind of reassure her. So, uh, yeah, how, how does it feel then, kind of, kind of risking your money or someone else's money for a living, you know, putting yourself in that position day in, day out in order to make a living. How do you kind of make peace with that or how do you deal with, with that potential anxiety? It's a really good question because I remember the first time I ever, ever, ever played poker for real money. It was the lowest stakes cash table I could find on the first poker site that I'd signed up with. And I played for small stakes cash I remember the instant I sat into a hand and had to decide whether to put money in the pot with it. My heart was thumping. (laughs) So yes, it was extremely nerve-wracking at at first. But of course, the more times you do something, the more you get conditioned to it. So those initial nerves did calm down. And I still, you know, to this day, I still experience nerves. The threshold is, of course, much higher. So I won't get any butterflies about playing for for low stakes. But at the other end of the spectrum, when I've been on a big final table in a tournament, playing for, you know, potentially six figures, that gets my heart rate going, you know. That is scary. 
So how do you deal with that? I, I imagine kind of not letting that emotional state impact your play is incredibly difficult. The main thing is because you've been in certain situations so many times before that you're competent in enough areas of poker that you'll get into almost any situation and just automatically know what to do. Conscious decisions are the hardest to perform in a pressure situation. The key is to have studied the game enough that the vast majority of decisions are unconscious. They're automatic. As for the pressure, it's important to stay calm enough in poker. Probably the first jargon word we're going to come onto is actually tilt, which is the mental state where you're not capable of making logical decisions anymore. Um, a little bit like when you're angry and you say something a little bit out of character. The last few months for everyone across the globe has, has been very strange, what with the coronavirus lockdown. How has that been for you and how has it impacted your playing and, and, and your livelihood? Yeah, I can't. I obviously can't travel for live poker anymore, but I've just gone back to my roots. I'm back on playing online and uh, I still love playing online and uh, it's going very well. Lovely. Well, we're going to take a short break now. And when we come back, I'll tell you a little bit more about what's got me into playing free stake poker at the minute, which is, um, is what's really kind of piqued my interest in the game. So we'll be right back. Like what you've heard so far? Well, the best way to support the pod is simply by clicking the subscribe button wherever you get your podcasts. Alternatively, you can follow us on Facebook or Twitter, where we'll be happy to talk all things poker with you. Right, where's that pesky poker player got to? So welcome back. This is part two of the Fish to Final Table poker podcast. I'm here, Nick Oakley, with professional poker player Andy Hills, and uh, we're talking poker. Before the break, Andy was telling us a little bit about his journey into poker and and the wonderful world of playing professionally. I am pretty much at the opposite side of the spectrum to that. So similarly to you, Andy, I also got into poker back in the day with probably the same age. You've probably got more hair than me. And there was something about the game that really piqued my interest. I played a little bit with friends and never really caught on, but that interest's always been there. And just recently, through lockdown, actually, a group of us from home, we set up a group and we started playing on Poker Face, which is, is a free game. You know, you don't have to pay anything. And, and we play every Friday. And it's just been an absolutely lovely way to catch up with them. And it's just made me fall in love with the game again. And I wonder whether through lockdown, there's been a lot of uncertainty, a lot of people struggling with uh, normal routines going out the window and I've struggled with that myself so what poker I think has has really offered me is a way just to sit and play a game that is deeply deeply rooted in being objective and being logical because it is a game that requires you if you're going to be successful to think quite logically isn't it and to deal with that emotional reaction to the cards. As you say, thinking logically is the name of the game. Humans aren't always great at thinking logically, so we have to retrain our brains for poker. So this begs the question, how do we play correctly? We get lots of misleading short-term feedback in poker. You know, we do the right thing, but lose the hand. Or we do the wrong thing, but win the hand. Now, when you're a beginner, it can be quite stressful wagering your own money on a poker hand. 
you make a series of bets or calls before you find out whether you've won the hand or not. Now, think about what happens when a beginner wins a hand. We've fumbled our way to the river, and then we get the relief or the excitement of winning the hand. Now, on a subconscious level, our brain wants to replicate that nice feeling. It associates the decision we just made with that positive feedback. So we're learning that the decision was correct. Of course, objectively speaking, that may not be the case. Okay, so we might actually be winning hands but not playing in the right way. How on earth do we judge our objectives then in the game? The objective of poker isn't to win hands or to avoid losing hands. The objective is to make as much money as possible. Sometimes the way we make the most money, the most long-term profit, is by taking a risk. That risk can actually increase the chance of us losing the hand. For the purposes of poker, our brain's natural reward systems are broken. Yeah, I mean, risk is definitely something I struggle with in poker. I mean, and I wonder whether a lot of people experience that as well, because, you know, we're, we're trained, we train ourselves to play things safe and not to get ourselves into trouble. So one of the many cognitive biases that makes us naturally bad at poker is loss aversion. Loss aversion is essentially pain avoidance. Now, there is a lot of pain in poker. Let's say we decide to make a bluff, the bluff doesn't work, and we lose a large sum of money. That hurts. Now, does that mean we shouldn't make a bluff in future? Here's the thing, it may have been a good bluff. Just because the bluff didn't work this time doesn't mean it wasn't a fundamentally sound bluff. If you analyse a certain spot, it may be that we can expect the bluff to work 50% of the time or 60% of the time. Maybe we only need it to work 30% of the time. This is why we need some sort of objective way to work out how to play poker and not just listen to our emotions or not just look at the outcome of individual hands as a guide. We need to apply, if you like, the scientific method to work out logically what is the correct way to play. While we're still learning the game, we need to be the opposite of the kind of person who acts on instinct. We have to be rigorous and logical. Trust in the maths. But therein lies another pretty standard issue, I think, for a lot of people at my level playing poker, and that is the maths. Because we all know it's a game that's deeply rooted in, in maths and probabilities. And even the, the kind of briefest look online at, at tutorials or lessons and, and there's some fantastic stuff online to teach you. It is still really, really quite difficult, I feel, to, to get my head around the maths. Was maths something you always felt competent at that you could kind of deal with? Yes, it's hard for me to be unbiased. I do have a maths background. But I will say there's a lot of successful players that don't regard themselves as good at maths. The most important maths concept is pot odds. I'm, I'm not going to reinvent the wheel. If you don't understand pot odds, Google it. Pot odds are the foundation of, uh, of poker, of gambling games. But you don't have to do any complicated calculations in-game. When you read a beginner's guide to poker, it'll tell you what the odds are of hitting a flush. Yeah, you need to know a few rules of thumb. But it's, it's not calculus. You don't have to do really hard arithmetic. Don't be scared by the maths. Because I'm obviously learning about this stuff now. And th what I can see happening is that the understanding of the, the maths behind the probabilities is forming a, a kind of bedrock on which then you can make those logical decisions and then can kind of intuit 
what is going on on the table. Or Whereas I think prior to that, I would just go on a whim. I would think, this guy's trying to bully me. I'm going to try and bully him back and take all his chips and then get caught <laughs> out. You know, you get locked into some sort of weird thing that's going on rather than it being rooted on that bedrock of math. It is possible to reconcile those those two things. I wouldn't say I consciously think about any complicated maths in game. I mean, sometimes when somebody goes all in for all of their chips, you you sometimes make a decision which is a close mathematical decision and you do try and do some, you might call it guerrilla maths in your head, sort of like scribbling on the back of a matchbox kind of maths, but not not really complicated equations. You know, I would say I have below average arithmetic abilities. I'm not very quick at doing the sums in my head, but I am intuitive at maths concepts. You know, when you talked about the, the logic and the maths and you talk about the emotion and the kind of dynamics of a game and being bullied or being perceived to be a bully and all those things, you do consciously reconcile those things in game. You do sometimes think, well, this guy is on tilt. He's lost emotional control. His self-discipline has gone out of the window. Maybe he's playing a wider range of hands than he usually would be. So I'm going to put some extra hands in his range and I'll work out the maths from there on a different set of assumptions than I would for someone who isn't uh, losing emotional control. Interesting. The next issue that I also have fundamentally with the game, and I kind of touched on it before, is it's a game that is inherently, it's about gambling, isn't it? It's about risking your money. And my granddad, who worked down the mill from Rochdale, very working class. I remember, it's always sticks in my head, he always described gambling, it's a mugs game, it's a mugs game. I've always found it really hard to gamble. I've been to a casino before, I found it really hard, I stuck to red or black. I I think I find it really, really difficult. So, gambling is kind of a loaded term. It's got some negative connotations to a lot of people. One is the casino always wins premise. So you're doing something that's ultimately going to be binning money. Now, that doesn't apply to poker if you become good at it. Whereas, of course, if you play roulette, you might have a very reasonable chance of winning in the short term. But of course, if you play thousand spins of roulette, you're very likely to end up a loser. Now, poker is something where if you get better at it, you can become a long-term winner. So although you've got the same short-term issue where you could you could lose on any given session. And of course, you could have six losing sessions in a row. In the long term, if you play well, if you play well, you can be a long-term winner. And professionals like myself are testament to that. Yeah, absolutely. And But I imagine for a lot of people, that long-term commitment can be quite difficult because we're very used to short-term mm-hmm. goals. And it kept coming to my mind when you were talking was when people buy houses to flip them for profit or invest in a business venture. These are socially acceptable forms of gambling, aren't they? I think you've absolutely nailed it. Lots of people start a new business and invest most of their net worth in that business or a substantial part of their net worth in it. Now, to me, that is gambling. But if you only invest a very small amount of your net worth, I don't see the problem with that. And that principle taken to its extreme is exactly what a venture capitalist is. Someone like Peter Jones of Dragon's Den. I don't think anybody would call him a gambler, but he invests in hundreds and hundreds of business startups. And by virtue of having good judgment in which businesses to throw his money at, and of course, by not investing too much of his money in any one gamble, he basically takes the risk out of the equation. 
it's it's widely known most businesses fail within the first few years. And this is where there's a parallel with poker. It's not as though having a great business plan guarantees that your business will succeed. It's probabilistic. Lots of wannabe entrepreneurs succeed because they were in the right place at the right time. And just because a business fails doesn't mean it was a bad business plan. The, the market conditions could have changed. A new unforeseen technology could obsolete your product. In the same way, playing a hand of poker, yes, you can call that gambling. Playing a hundred hands of poker is gambling. It doesn't matter how good you are, you could still lose because there's so much short-term variance in the game. But if you learn good poker strategy, if you select sensible stakes, if you select good tables to play on, and if you play 50,000 hands of poker, your chances of making a net loss are effectively zero. So are the poker tables, particularly at the low stakes, full of people who are trying to make a quick buck rather than actually long-term commitment to a game and long-term commitment to improving their finances or winnings? I specialise in tournament poker. A tournament entry is a little bit like a lottery ticket. You know, you're on any given shot, you're not that likely to win the tournament. But if you're professional, you can play over and over and over and over and over again. And over the course of hundreds of tournaments, you know, tens of thousands of hands, of course, your luck evens out. Everybody gets the same number of aces. Everyone gets the same amount of good and bad luck. So your skill prevails. But yes, absolutely. I think that's probably the reason that the standard of play in tournaments is lower than in, in cash games, because it's very appealing to the gambling mindset. Now I'm using gambling in the loaded sense there, you know, hoping to get lucky. But I could see how that could be really quite appealing to a lot of poker players because often the buy-ins for tournaments are relatively low, yet the prize pool can be as much as kind of thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of pounds just to get to the final table. So you're getting quite good pot odds there, aren't you? Especially compared to playing the lottery. <laughs> well, compared to the lottery, yes. The lottery has shocking odds. When you buy a lottery ticket, you're effectively paying rake of over 40%. In tournament poker, even a pretty bad player will not lose their money at a rate of minus 40% per tournament entry. But to state the hopefully obvious, you're only getting good odds if you're somewhat better than average. To go back to your question about low stakes poker, yeah, no doubt there's some people who are just hoping to make a fast buck. But compared to bingo or blackjack, it's a lot more like sport poker attracts enthusiasts. There's communities built around the game. Obviously, I'm a, an ambassador for an online poker site, but in my opinion, poker's an interesting and skillful game. That's what attracts so many people to it. So whether you're a recreational player or a professional, it feels a lot more wholesome than gambling on a game of pure chance. I've been playing on Poker Face. It's free. You don't have to put any money on, which is great. However... The more I learn about poker, the more I'm starting to feel like, hang on a minute, this is not quite poker. Is that the case? Do you do we yes. have to put our money in in order to fully appreciate the game? Yes. So when you read strategy advice or read books or look at discussions of poker hands on forums, they are all going to be in the context of people playing for real money. So loads of the assumptions they're making will be broken in a game where people can't actually lose something. Is it a case then that if we're playing on, on a free roll site, that people play to a different set of 
rules or a different mindset than they would if they were playing for their own money. I think the the threshold where somebody goes, nah, I'm just I'll just give I'll just mess around now. The bars are a lot lower. They'll just they'll call to see what their opponents got, which is a thing that absolute beginners do. They call not because there's a good chance that their hand's winning, but just in case they're winning. That stops applying when you play for real money because if you continually make curiosity calls, then we're going to do our money plainly. Well, if it's not costing you anything, you might as well kind of get to the end. I work in TV and film, and I within my game, there's always a narrative. There's a start, middle, and an end. And often within a hand you don't know the end and you might have gone through a significant amount of emotional turmoil. You might have put a load of money into the centre. Surely you want to call all the time. I'm sorry to bring you bad news, but it will always be like that. And even when you become more experienced, (laughs) you still have problems with, with closure sometimes. And I would say, broadly speaking, the higher the level you play at in poker, the fewer hands go to showdown. That means when you get to the point where you flip the cards over, when you play against better and better players, there's a lot more hands where somebody makes a bet and everyone else gives up and you never get to see anybody's cards. So you only know what you had. And of course, when you play at a higher level, people don't want to give away free information. So they're not going to voluntarily show you, oh, I wasn't bluffing that time. They're going to keep stum. They're going to fold their cards face down and you'll never know. It's a game (laughs) about information or lack of information actually isn't it and you've got to make highly skilled decisions based on what little information that you have because you've always got the community cards out on the table you've got and everyone else has got the two cards in their hands you're never going to know necessarily what those are so you've got to form judgments on incomplete information effectively haven't you that is pretty much the name of the game decisions based on incomplete information but it cuts both ways because your opponents have the same problem so when you get good at poker you have to be cognizant of how you appear to other people because they don't know what you know they don't know whether you are bluffing or whether you were value betting so they don't know if they've made the correct fold or a bad fold that psychology can affect how future hands play out so for example there might be a situation where ordinarily it would be good to bluff but because you've been doing so much betting recently, you may have won lots of hands where you could logically deduce it may have looked like you were bluffing. So you could argue it would be more risky than usual to bluff given your image. We call it your table image. So you may look like the crazy guy. Okay, Andy, so I'm up for it. I'm up for this. I'm willing to put my hard-earned cash or the cash from mine and the wife's joint account, into playing (laughs) poker. So we're going to talk a bit more about what my long-term goals might be within the game and also hopefully a little bit of strategy chat as well. And that's coming up next in part three. Welcome back, everyone. This is part three of the Fish to Final Table Poker podcast. I've got Andy Hills with me still. So we were talking a little bit before the break about poker being a game of skill and I think the dawning realization for myself is that actually to get good at playing poker we need to dedicate a lot of time to researching studying as well as playing. Andy so as a professional how much time do you normally dedicate to your job is it do you see it as a nine to five how how does it work? It is a full-time job I mean it isn't literally nine to five I tend to play 
a night shift or a, a late evening, early hours kind of shift. So typically when I'm playing online, I might start at 6 or 7 p.m. and I'll play until sometimes 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock. Wow. So it is kind of like a 9 to 5, but just shifted <laughs> into, the, into moonlighting. So it's very much like a full-time job. And the thing about poker is I don't get paid just for turning up. I have to try and play well. So there's no point in just putting in the hours when you're not on form, if, if you're not concentrating, if you're tired. It's a game where you really have to concentrate and, you know, you are setting money on fire by not concentrating. So it's better to take a night off if you're not on the ball. Yeah. You're a tournament player and you play a lot of live poker normally, but due to the current situation with, with COVID-19, that's not been, you've not been able to do that. So what does a normal kind of routine look like uh, when you're at the casinos? There isn't really a normal routine. Well, for starters, a certain amount of my time is spent planning the trips because I've been all over the show. Indeed. And uh, the logistics of where I'm flying to and airport transfers and trying to find reasonably budgety hotels that aren't too horrible and researching the tournaments themselves so there's there's a certain amount of time just for the planning stage that's actually quite time consuming i can easily spend a whole day booking my next few trips of course that's all fallen by the wayside now it's back to back to online poker which is how i started out are you missing it are you missing the that lifestyle the jet setting you know what i thought i would really miss it and yeah i do i think about it fondly you know when i think about what i was doing you know when facebook does its Here's some photos from last year. You know, I look at them nostalgically and the idea of going and playing some live poker is extremely appealing. However, ultimately, I love the game of poker. And I did, I did say this when I was grinding live. Every time I went home for the weekend and played some online poker, I reminded myself how much I like playing poker and how much I like online. You can do it in your PJs. Uh, you know, it's, it's nice to be in your own home environment and I can chat to my study buddy I can choose my own hours. And of course, you just get to play a lot more hands online. The action is much quicker. Excellent. You heard it here first, guys. Andy Hills plays poker in his PJs. Um, <laughs> so how much time do you dedicate then to, to study? It's an ongoing thing. Many hours a week, but probably not as many as I ought to, is the answer to that. Uh, I know lots of people who are very, very studious with poker, some of my professional friends. But yeah, I have one main study buddy who I study with two or three times a week. So we'll have a few hours in the afternoon before we play our uh, poker session in the evening. And what do you do in those sessions then? A variety of different things. Sometimes we have a hand history review. So we go back to some hands we've flagged from previous tournaments sometimes we'll watch a training video together so these are one of the most popular ways of learning in, in poker these days we'll watch a video and listen to the pro commentating on his own play often the reasoning behind their decisions can be based on assumptions that don't hold true in the games that we play so often we'll pause the video and discuss how our games differ and work out how to adapt their advice for our games. And sometimes we do some theoretical study. We use poker analysis software. For example, there's a very popular program with pros called PO Solver. So sometimes we'll analyze how a supercomputer, how a bot would play against another bot in a battle of the ultimate poker minds. So we look at that as a jumping off point for other aspects of this play we could bring into our game. Or if there's something that a perfect computer does 
it doesn't necessarily follow that that's what we should do against fallible human players. But if there's something that the computer does that nobody really does in real life, that can sometimes give you an idea about how to exploit human players. Wow. And this is leading to a kind of crucial thought, really, that in order to play poker seriously, we really need to dedicate a lot of time and a lot of energy if we're going to do it right. And and so it's making me think, well, I need to work out what my goal is in order to do this. And I think what I want is to understand the game better and for that to become a hobby but a hobby ultimately that doesn't cost me a load of money. I think it's really important perhaps for for players, not just starting out, but across the board to identify what it is that they want to get out of the game. Because I imagine that it's really easy to lose sight of what that might be. Yes, I wouldn't be fixated on making it definitely a profitable hobby. Just to be clear, you are not going to be a winning player at the start. Nobody starts off being a winning player. I didn't start off being a winning player. There are better resources available now than there used to be. Like when I started, there were just books. I don't think there were training videos around 12 years ago. The way we improve in poker is in small increments. It has been said of poker that your improvement, your path to improvement comes in a series of mini epiphanies. And that is the nature of the game. So with each leak you find or each new way of thinking about the game or even each new rule of thumb you learn which can give you some guidance in the early stages before you realize it's more complex than just following rules of thumb each of those steps will make you a little bit more profitable so not many of those are going to make you jump from being a quite losing player to a break-even player or a winning player it's it's got a lot more small steps to it so it's important not to be fixated on the end game of being a, a profitable player or a break-even player or whatever. I mean, surely if you enjoy the game, then perhaps a desirable outcome would be to get to the stage where you only lose a little bit. I mean, that might sound silly, but that makes yeah. a lot of logical sense. People spend money on other hobbies. I don't know why somebody should be hung up on that poker must be profitable. I mean, I, can, Great I, can't, point. I can't overemphasize most people don't become winning players, but within the band of losing players, yeah, of course, there are some people that have got a problem or they're doing their money or they're delusional, but an awful lot of people might lose an acceptable amount of money where they can afford to lose it and they know what they're doing and they're adults and they're in control. So that's also fine. And of course, if you're on a path that you're happy with, where you're enjoying improving, you're enjoying playing the game, it is the nature of poker. It's complex and interesting enough that people form social groups around it you know there's forums on the internet where people discuss strategy people chat when you go to a poker room on the break of a tournament all you hear is jibber jabber about the hand the hands that people are discussing oh do you think i should have checked the turn yeah i think my opponent's got the range <laughs> advantage here and you know it's we're, we're a bunch of nerds basically <laughs> so embrace the nerdery you know enjoy it so i've worked out right i'm gonna i'm probably gonna give myself a certain amount of time every week to play how much do i need to be playing to be improving i would certainly say you need to be playing for a few hours a week at least but i can't overemphasize the most important thing is deliberate practice so you are focusing solely yeah. on poker and thinking about each action and you're not doing anything on autopilot you're not just going oh i've got a pair of aces bet you know you've got to be thinking why you're betting you've got to be thinking about what are the pros and cons of each of the actions you could take and when you bet 
you know, what are the benefits of making a small bet versus a big bet? So there's a danger of running before you can walk, of course. When you start out, you do have to follow some rules of thumb and you do have to grossly simplify the game. But the only way you get better is by actively thinking about everything you're doing. I can't overstate that. Everything you're doing. So how do I need to adjust my game from the free roll to playing on microstakes online? Everything that I read suggests, okay, what, what I need to be doing is to play a tight range to start. So that is, I, I'm only going to enter into hands when I have a really premium hand. And, and obviously I need to consider position, but one of my strategies to, to, to get into it is to play very tight. And that might mean folding, well, it will mean folding a lot of cards. So there might be quite a lot of sitting around, clicking, fold, clicking, fold, clicking, fold. That, I think, could be quite a test. Yes. So even when you're not involved in a hand, a really good discipline is to pay attention to the hand that is playing out without you in it. Mm -hmm. So right. watch, okay. watch what everyone else is doing. If you really pay attention, for starters, you'll get some very basic information, like which guy is in every pot, you know, who, who hasn't got the discipline to wait for a hand. And if you Me. watch what people... Well, <laughs> I mean, try and have a guess at what people have. Maybe someone will bet on the flop and another person will call. Well, think, even say it out loud if necessary. What do you think the guy called with? Most people have got some reason for having called a bet. So what do you think his range is now that he has not folded his hand? So if you can actively think about that all the time, you'll be learning even when you're not in a hand. Another thing I've been reading a lot about is pre-flop, making sure that you're raising rather than calling. Is that a good strategy for me to start implementing into the game? For sure. Again, a rule of thumb that you give to people who are starting out is be the aggressor. Often, if your opponents have played passively, you might want to play aggressively. So if somebody has, has just called and you have ace-jack, then we will raise. We will raise over their limp. There's a few reasons why we want to play aggressively with our good hands. One of them is thinning the field, getting people with marginal hands to fold. Another is that we have a good hand. We're going to win this hand a reasonable amount of the time. We want to win a big pot. I would suggest to anyone starting out, make sure you have some starting hands charts that tell you which hands to open from which positions. So if you're playing at, a, right. say, a six-handed table from the first seat, you'll only be playing, say, ace-10 or better. You'll only play ace-9 if it's suited. You'll only play king-jack if it's suited. Beginners are surprised by how nitty, we say, you should play when you have many players still to act behind you. And, of course, as a beginner, wow. you're also not going to play your hands as well after the flop. So you can somewhat offset that. You can mitigate the problem of sometimes bleeding some chips by having the better hand to start with. You just will win the hand more often. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to... Try and work out when might be the best time to play. It's probably when the kids are in bed and I can skulk off up to the attic and um, immerse myself in this game. And what would be lovely is if we can share a few of the hand histories and you can kind of critique my game. You know, school will be in session because I'd really be interested in hearing how you think I get on. That sounds fun. And it will be fun, of course, to reflect on what it's like when you are starting out, because I, I obviously mingle with a whole load of poker enthusiasts. And it'll be interesting to review what are the things that people tend to do wrong when they when they start out. Yeah. 
I expect you to make some of the obvious beginner's mistakes, yeah. which is fine. But I've, I expect you'll probably make a few that I'd forgotten about as well. <laughs> yeah, keep you on your toes. Um, yep. So how should I be judging the success or failure of the first few sessions? Or should I just forget that entirely and just concentrate on playing the game? Yeah, I, I wouldn't worry too much about whether you, you win or lose. The most important thing is to play for money that you, you can afford to lose and feel comfortable losing. So if your budget for the night is £20, don't sit down with £20 at the table because you could lose £5 five times over, you know? So sit down with 4 or £5 if your budget is about five times that. That sounds like sound advice. Andy Hills, thanks so much for joining us and really looking forward to catching up as soon as possible and you can critique my poker playing. Thank you very much. So that's it for the first ever episode of the Fish to Final Table Poker Podcast. If you've enjoyed it, feel free to share, like and subscribe. We'll be back very soon with a new episode. But until then, good luck on the tables. The Fish to Final Table Poker Podcast is an AOA TV production. Hosted and produced by Nick Oakley with music by D6 Bass and online artwork courtesy of Nice Things by Bella.